Alongside widespread school closures, lockdown has also resulted in significant challenges for the higher and further education sectors. What will happen to universities and students next year? How will the pandemic affect apprenticeship schemes? What are the likely educational and economic impacts on young people from our response to the virus? How government responds could shape the structure of our higher and further education sectors for years to come, as well as determining the route taken by a generation of school leavers. To address these crucial questions, in this week's edition of IFS Zooms In, I'm joined by Anna Vignoles, Professor of Education at the University of Cambridge, and Luke Sibieta, Research Fellow at the IFS. Let's start with you, Anna. In broad terms, to what extent should we, we, we be worried about the higher education sector over the coming year? What's likely to happen to universities as they adjust to uh, the world of the virus? So obviously there's a huge amount of uncertainty and we don't have all the answers yet, but I think we can be sure that there will be a decline in international student numbers. Uh, and this has some serious uh, consequences because for years... Uh, the higher education sector has relied on cross-subsidy from international students to fund things like research. Um, So we're going to find universities facing a fairly monumental financial crisis off the back of not having sufficient uh, income coming in from students. Uh, But additionally, I think there's the added uncertainty of what will happen uh, vis-a-vis domestic students. Um, If you're you know, giving advice to young people now, I think it's very clear that you should probably advise them to continue to go to university next year um, because, firstly, they're going to struggle to find a job, so their alternative activity might be quite limited. But also, crucially, the following year, when you get two cohorts of students trying to go to the same university, it's going to be a real uh, challenge. So from the student perspective, I, I think it's clear that they should go. But from the university's perspective, it's not clear that uh, how many will choose to defer or want to defer. Um, And again, that's going to add to the financial crisis. And what can you give us any sense of the the scale of that crisis? I mean, are we looking at a world in which we're going to need or the government's going to need to bail out uh, a lot of universities? Uh, And is an appropriate response to bail them out? Or is this in some sense an opportunity to allow some of them to go to the wall or merge with each other? So I think there are two separate issues here. One is what to do in the immediate um, sort of term. And, you know, uh, the government has already committed to, if you like, underwriting the finances of universities um, because if no students or a proportion of students turn up next year, clearly there's a liquidity crisis um, and it would be very inadvisable to let uh, universities fail Uh, because of a short-term financial crunch. So that's the the first issue. The second issue is what should governments be doing in the medium and the longer term? If we think that this virus is going to have uh, longer-term implications, perhaps reducing people's um, tendency to want to study abroad, uh, we need to uh, give the sector time to adjust. When you think of the public good coming out of universities, uh, you only have to look at the response to COVID uh, and the crisis to know how much knowledge generated in universities is being brought to bear on the crisis to know that you know these institutions are very very valuable Um, and it's not just elite research intensive institutions that are valuable at a local level the university is likely to be a focal point for the provision of the skills that we need to to recover from this crisis so again it would make sense to view this not as a bailout but rather as an investment Uh, having said all that of course that 
implies a shakeout of the HE sector, and I'm sure it won't be smooth sailing. But the principle of the government uh, investing in higher education at the moment seems a sound one from an economic perspective. So you're not uh, among that group of people who think that the higher education sector has overexpanded over the last decade, has been uh, too um, bullish about opportunities and actually uh, in five years' time we actually ought to have less of it. So that's a really interesting question. If we took another industry and said that it was, you know, highly export intensive, um, had expanded globally, had a world leading global brand, uh, had been highly successful and was now being hit by the COVID crisis, I think we wouldn't necessarily conclude that the industry had been mad to uh, develop its export business. Um, Universities in the UK are indeed um, a global brand, or many of them are. They've attracted international students in large numbers. It's a highly successful part of the uh, UK economy and the UK exports. So no, I don't think that's a mistake, but it has undeniably uh, led us to be very reliant on the income from international students. Um, And not just the income, actually. I mean, the income is part of it, but it's actually the flow of talent that comes in from all over the globe to UK universities that not only helps them financially, but really helps them in terms of um, becoming, you know, world centres of excellence. And it's that that worries me. I mean, we want this that to continue. But of course, over the next few years, this virus may have um, made it a little more difficult. And my own view is in the long term, these things will, will come good. And we should support the HE sector to kind of go through this period of transition. What I'm not saying, however, is that every HE institution is perfect and every degree course they offer is um, economically or socially valuable. So undoubtedly, as with any other industry, in a period of sort of crunch, uh, there will be a shakeout and no doubt efficiencies can be reaped. But by and large, higher education in the UK is a success story. And I don't think that the virus was predictable in that sense. Um, and we shouldn't let that undermine the, the the quality of the sector. So the uh, so this is a this is a successful sector. The the, the issue for the longer run is um, are we going to get to something like normal where people are travelling between countries, moving between countries to go into higher education? And if they do, then uh, obviously the right thing to do is to make sure that we still have that sector in good uh, health at the point at which they can start to bring back international students once again. Uh, Looking uh, again at the um, issue for uh, UK um, students trying to go to uh, university over the next uh, year or two, you've already indicated you think that there's a risk that because at least some and possibly all universities will be uh, teaching online that they'll still be social distancing this autumn, there's a risk that more students or rather fewer students will uh, decide to start university this coming term. And that could be damaging not so much for the universities, but for the students themselves. Yes, and I am worried about this. And I'm worried about not just um, students in general, but specifically students from less advantaged family backgrounds. And the reason why I say this is because of a couple of things. First of all, as I said, if uh, a large number of students defer or you know reapply next year. There are going to be far more students um, applying to university than there are places, and we know that on average, students from uh, poorer households will tend to have uh, slightly lower A-level grades. So they're the ones that are going to miss out if there's a scrum next year to try and uh, get into scarce places. 
The other thing I'm worried about is the work from the Institute for Fiscal Studies, as, as you know, um, has already shown that the sectors that are being hardest hit are the ones that disproportionately employ young people. So a uh, number of students who were planning to go to university would have relied on income from part-time jobs, and those jobs are going to be difficult to get. So they might then change their mind about coming to university because of financial constraints. And of course, you all, underneath all of this, you have the fact that low-income households are being hit hardest by the crisis. So families may be in a far worse position to support students. So I do worry about um, those from poorer backgrounds who really should be continuing to university as planned um, and may be put off from doing so. And I think it's really important that people in the sector are very clear on the advice and guidance that they can give that if you can possibly go, it's a good idea. Um, but it may also be that we need to find ways of providing additional financial support for those who otherwise would have been able to earn their way through university. And presumably not just financial support. I mean, there's also reassurance that it will still be fun um, if you're not able to <laughs> if you're not able to take part in the normal social events. And one we've already heard reports of virtual freshers fairs and um, universities, including your own, giving up on uh, live lectures um, already. I think for next year. So I mean, it will be the case. It will be a different sort of experience. And um, I guess universities need to look at ways of persuading pers- prospective students that it will still be. You know, a good experience as well as a learning one. I think you're absolutely right. And indeed, I have two teens in the household, one who's at university, one who's about to go. And they're probably not worried about online lectures. In fact, you know, many students prefer to have a recording of a lecture. What they're worried about is online social. And I think universities are going to have to make serious efforts to prioritise how it is that you build community feeling and, um, you know, solidarity between students and indeed build their social life uh, remotely. Um, The only thing I would say is that I suspect that um, that generation would be far better at it than we are. Um, because they spend more time online anyway. Um, But it is a serious issue about the, the, the general experience. I'm actually less worried about the quality of the educational provision and the learning. I mean, the Open University has shown us uh, for a number of years that you can do good quality online remote learning, um, but you're absolutely right. It's that the totality of the experience uh, may, well, it won't be the same next year. But the thing I would say is, that trying to um, get in the following year uh, and competing two cohorts into one wouldn't be fun either. So I feel for the students, they are between a rock and a hard place, Um, but I would still on balance recommend that they go. And and, and finally to you for now, um, Anna, the um, one issue that we might face, you've talked about um, students from poorer backgrounds maybe maybe being put off from going to university. But are you also worried at all that they may next year and the year after, because of the uh, loss of education in schools that they've suffered at the moment, they may also be doing rather worse than they ought to be in terms of getting A-levels. And therefore, we may have a, a cohort or several cohorts of students where in particular, those from less well-off backgrounds are finding it more difficult than they have done to get into uh, the more competitive universities. Yes, I think over the next few years, there are two issues that we really do need to focus on. One, as you say, is that um, many cohorts that have been affected by this will end up having um, less education than previous cohorts, and we need to rectify that. And it's not a problem for all students. 
some students have huge amounts of support at home and may actually be doing better um, at the moment than they would have done uh, in in um, full-time schooling. Um, but for uh, more disadvantaged students, it's undoubtedly true that we're going to have to mitigate some of that learning loss. And that means, uh, you know, targeted support for those students and possibly greater levels of investment. For example, the pupil premium, which is targeted at uh, poorer children, uh, may need to be increased in order to, say, pay for one-to-one -one, uh, tuition on, I don't know, reading and maths so that uh, students from disadvantaged backgrounds can catch up. And the other group I'm, of course, worried about are those who are trying to leave education, whether that's school, college or university, into what is undoubtedly going to be one of the worst labour markets that we've seen for many a generation. Um, and they are going to need an awful lot of support, both in terms of trying to find jobs, but more realistically, perhaps also in terms of uh, keeping them in, sheltering them in education and training and trying to help them develop the skills that will improve their chances of getting a job in what is a very difficult labour market. Well, that's a, that's a good moment to swap our focus to that bit of the education system, which is all too often neglected, which is for the majority, actually, who don't go on to um, university and has possibly brought into particular focus just last week when the Prime Minister seemed to indicate that um, he was going to promise an apprenticeship to every young person um, who wanted one, uh, possibly a, a promise that um, won't and possibly shouldn't be uh, fulfilled. Um, but, but moving to you, Luke, um, we may not want apprenticeships for absolutely everybody, but do you see a role for apprenticeships um, themselves or indeed for government in supporting apprenticeships as part of the response to this crisis? Well, it's certainly true that the labour market for young people is going to be deteriorating in, in the short term and there's likely to be um, demand for increased apprenticeships from young people. Um, there's also a high, already high levels of subsidy from the government for apprenticeships. But fundamentally, it's about whether employers are going to be able and willing to offer apprenticeships to young people. Um, they're, although they're highly subsidised, firms still have to pay for some aspect of their wages and have to give up time in terms of training them. And with firms already relatively cash-strapped at the moment, they might not be willing to offer them in the next few years. And so it's more likely, in my opinion, that apprenticeship opportunities might dry up because employers simply can't afford to offer them anymore. Indeed, and I think research from the Sutton Trust suggests that um, I think it was something like a third of employers who currently have apprentices are thinking of not uh, taking them on or taking on fewer um, in this coming year for exactly the reasons that you suggest. Exactly. I think it's much more likely that apprenticeship opportunities will dry up. Um, and I'm not quite sure the government has much of a role or any much of an opportunity to correct that, apart from through supporting firms um, on the economic side in terms of making sure that they're still profitable and in business. And a firm that's in business is much more likely to offer apprenticeships. But the, the challenge with apprenticeships is the whole point of them is learning on the job, working alongside somebody. And working alongside somebody might not necessarily be watching a blacksmith 100 years ago. But it still involves constant feedback and learning from somebody as you work on the job. And in a socially distanced world, that's going to be so much harder. People who are working in a socially distanced way are already quite highly stressed, but trying to train someone at the same time is going to be even harder. No, I've seen that. My, one of my sons is an apprentice and has been working at home for the last um, 
nearly three months and uh, is clearly getting less input into uh, his uh, his training than he than he than he normally would. Um, so you don't think that even um, you know, a significant government subsidy uh, would be enough to really make a big difference to the numbers of apprenticeships because of the sort of underlying difficulties to delivering them, or do you think a subsidy could be quite effective? Um, I think they're already almost it, well. The off-the-job training costs in apprenticeship are almost completely subsidised at the moment, up to a certain maximum. So they're relatively uh, not, 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 not highly costly to employers to offer. Um, they still have to pay their wage costs and government could step in there. But I think fundamentally it's whether firms are willing to offer them and give up their employees' time in order to offer them. And I think that problem also applies more widely to training rather than just apprenticeships per se. Um, It's often thought that during recessions that training budgets are one of the first things to suffer because it's something that firms can set aside in the immediate term. And I think if you're worried about apprenticeships, I think you'd be more worried about general training across firms in the next few years. Uh, and I, I sort of hinted in my initial question to you that promising apprenticeships to all uh, may not be a good idea, even if you could in some sense. No, exactly. I, I, I think um, the, the right policy response is trying to think about how to make sure, we, well, to be honest, how we can maintain the numbers of apprenticeships as they are and make sure they're still high quality. Trying to increase the numbers, I think, would be um, uh, highly ambitious and could actually risk involving young people in some quite low-quality schemes just to ensure they're on something called an apprenticeship, as we've learned with the apprenticeship scheme and training schemes over the last 10, 15 years. If you set big headline targets, we'll somehow find the number of people to be on that target, but whether they're actually getting what we want them to be getting in in, in the final phase. I doubt it. It's been a bane of um, skills policy for, for, for decades, this um, this chasing of targets and uh, often meeting them, but meeting them by really downgrading the quality and value of the training that's being offered. And for those of us who are somewhat older than you, Luke, who remember the 1980s and the old youth training schemes, which had a terrible reputation and indeed uh, some evidence that they actually damaged um, the earnings prospects of people who went on them. I think we are particularly sceptical of um, trying to overpromise in this direction. But let's move on from apprenticeship specifically to the broader question of the much neglected um, further education sector. Anna has talked at length about the importance of higher education going forward we might expect more school leavers to uh, want to stay on in education and in further education over the next year or two. I mean, is that a sector that's well-placed uh, to, demand, to, to, to absorb what might well be significant additional demand? So I think it seems likely that beyond the next few months, we're going to see a significant expansion of numbers of young people who want to go to further education, either just after the age of 16 or just after the age of 18. The age profile of um, uh, the FE sector is relatively broad, um, but by and large, it's something that the sector sh- should be able to expand. But it will require government resources to enable them to do so. There are certain aspects of the funding system that are lagged that make it quite complicated. But those sorts of issues can be ironed out. Um, but fundamentally, it's the sector should be in a position to expand to meet this demand from young people. Um, The problem is that funding per learner has been on the decline for the last 10 years. So 
spending per student in the FE sector is around 7% lower in real terms than it was in 2010. Sixth form spending per student is around 20% lower than it was in 2010. Um, so resources per student are much lower than they were 10 years ago, which might reduce this sector's ability to deliver a high quality experience. Um, so I think the sector is probably well placed to maintain the numbers, but whether it can maintain high quality, I think it's exactly the same issue with apprenticeships. We can probably get more bums on seats. Whether they can be high quality or not, I don't know. And that's, uh, I mean, that's a very striking statistics that you um, set out there because we talk a lot about schools and we talk a lot about universities, but it's actually further education uh, and something like sixth form colleges, which have suffered much bigger cuts over the last decade than either schools or universities, potentially leaving them in a rather cash-strapped position in terms of swiftly uh, responding to demand. Absolutely. Um, The cuts to FE spending per student have been the largest across almost any stage of education for young people. Um, And reductions in student numbers over the last 10 years because of the declining size of the cohort has also reduced numbers and reduced money in the sector. Um, The fact that there might now be more young people going into the sector might actually help in that regard because the sector was having a problem with falling roles for the last seven years. So that might help in terms of increasing increasing capacity um, but spending per student has clearly been squeezed over the last 10 years um, and Anna I don't know whether it, whether it's possible or indeed whether it would be a good idea for universities to try and start playing in the same um, in the same area as further education colleges do they have the capacity or should they have the capacity to offer more uh, below higher education uh, courses particularly if um, they've got a lot of spare capacity over the next year or two because there aren't any international students. Should they be shifting their focus um, in a way that uh, does some different sorts of training, um, which might traditionally have happened in the further education sector? Yes, I think that's a distinct possibility. But I think also if we take a step back and say, what are the problems in the sort of UK education system skills sector? One of the problems is trying to align the skills that are in demand Um, from employers or by employers with what FE and HE can provide students with. Um, And the obvious uh, solution is for FE, HE and firms in particularly in local areas to work together to try to determine what it is that uh, the firms in that area would most benefit from in terms of skills. Now, obviously, education is for other purposes other than to prepare you for the labour market. However, over the next few years, I think students themselves are going to be very focused on trying to make a successful transition from the education system into the labour market. And I don't think FE or HE can do that alone. Um, And going back to Luke's point earlier about we can't just automatically or magically generate loads and loads of new apprentices, apprenticeships, uh, what we can do is think about how we can Um, bring in um, schemes and support for collaborative working between the various parts of the education system so that when students are, if you like, sheltering in education, they are actually learning skills that will be in demand when they hit the labour market. And yes, your point about HE having capacity with international students staying away, yes, there are people there that can definitely help with that. But the other thing is FE has fantastic links to local employers. So depending on what kind of provision and training you're talking about, I don't think either sector could do it alone. So um, perhaps we should uh, should end then by asking asking each of you um, for 
ideas, I guess, about how the public sector can do more to maintain uh, employment and training opportunities for young people. And I suppose particularly those who are leaving school, but also those who are leaving university um, this year. I mean, Luke, do you want to have a go at that first? Absolutely. I think um, the one obvious thing the government can do um, in my own area of education is uh, seek to employ more teachers. Um, Graduate um, labour market opportunity is going to be quite poor for the next few years. We already had a shortage of teachers, particularly in maths and science subjects where we are struggling to recruit even two-thirds of the numbers of maths and science teachers we need. Um, It seems like an obvious time to try and correct some of those imbalances particularly if we're going to need to maintain smaller class sizes over the next year or two. Now, it may well be that that will end up with more teachers than we need for the long run, but that's a problem we can face down the line. Um, and it's, it, it would be a good risk side rather than having unemployed graduates. So a silver lining here might be that we can finally um, fill some of the teacher vacancies that we've been carrying for a long time and, and possibly also in, uh, in nursing and other bits of uh, the public sector as well. Absolutely. And if, if we think that one of the major scars that's going to remain from this crisis is increased educational inequality and a loss of schooling, a loss of learning, then maybe employing more teachers now to try and correct that scar now rather than 10 years down the line would be a relatively good use of resources and a good use of people time. Anna, any, 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 any final thoughts? So uh, first of all, I'd just like to say I really uh, agree with Luke on this one. Employing more teachers is an obvious um, solution, and not just because of being able to finally overcome the teacher shortage, but more crucially, we do know that one-to-one and small group teaching and tuition um, is effective, and it's effective particularly in narrowing socioeconomic gaps in learning attainment. So if we're going to target the disadvantaged students who've had a lot of learning loss during this crisis and help support them get back on track, we need people to help them do that. And new graduates are an obvious way to to fill that need in terms of people. Uh, More generally, obviously, public sector employment is one uh, avenue that the government can explore to to provide homes, if you like, for, for new graduates and people trying to leave FE colleges. But the thing I would say there is we need to be really careful Um, about our planning for the future. It takes a long time to train doctors and to train nurses. Um, We are going to have need of people with different skills, whether it's contact tracing or different ways of doing business. Um, We need to think a little bit more carefully about how we are planning to provide those skills in the medium and long term. So I think what it's really important to do is to make investments that aren't just for the next six months, um, schemes to help people continue on to postgraduate study, for example. We can't just have an immediate response that hopes that by this time next year the crisis has gone away and the problem has gone away. We need a serious human capital strategy, um, and that should be over a much longer period of time. And yes, it will require some investment, but the word is investment. This is not the same as spending. It's not a transfer. It's an investment in the people side of, of the UK. Um, and done carefully could yield a return. Well, that seems like a very good note on which to finish this uh, this edition of the IFS Zooms in. Uh, we've heard that uh, the higher education sector is going to be facing some real challenges over the next couple of years, but also 
uh, has a really important role to play in the economic recovery, that students who can go into higher education this year should, even if it means that they might not have quite so much fun as they otherwise would have done. It's incredibly important that further education and apprenticeship system are properly uh, funded and supported to uh, help those young people who are not going to university and to develop those skills. There are real opportunities here actually for government in recruiting more teachers and other public sector workers. And we've ended up with Anna Vignolds telling us that uh, this really is an opportunity to step back and think about the the role of our training and education system and really putting some resilience into the economy by having enough people trained in the sorts of things that we might need them for uh, in the future. So with that, I'd like to very much thank uh, Luke Sibieta and Professor Anna Vignoles for their uh, fantastic contribution to this edition of the IFS Zooms In. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and rate us. And you can always stay on top of our latest work by visiting www.ifs.org.uk. Stay well, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon.